0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Same Business Different Day podcast. I'm your host, Zeke Corley, and I'm thrilled to bring you yet another captivating and insightful conversation. Allow me to introduce my esteemed co host and partner in storytelling, one of the premier video storytellers in all of San Diego County, Chris Ryan, owner of Chris Ryan Video.
1: Thanks for being here, Chris. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. You deserve it,
0: man. Our guest today is Casey Castillo a man that embodies altruism, both in his personal and professional endeavors. Throughout the next hour, we look forward to gaining valuable insights from Casey. But as we always do about this time, we're going to start at the beginning. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to our guest today, Casey Castillo.
2: Thank you for having me. Appreciate that introduction. That was a great introduction.
0: Of course, man. it's just the beginning, because the second introduction is going to be amazing, because I can't <laughs> wait to tell everybody what you actually are doing in life now, but it starts at the beginning. It all started somewhere for everybody, right? Does. Where,
2: uh, where were you born? So I was born in a, a sleepy, small town in Central California called Porterville, in okay. California, mm-hmm. San Joaquin Valley. Great place to grow up, uh, to ride your bike anywhere. I did a whole lot of that. Uh, played... Lots of sports growing up, formal, informal, in front yards or backyards. And that was, that was my life and I loved every part of it. Now, where is that like central? Is that like farm town? So, yeah, absolutely. It's agriculture um, uh, town. It's right in the middle of Fresno and Bakersfield. Okay. You have to want to get there to get there. You're <laughs> lost. Get lost. You're lost, or you're <laughs> heading up to the Sequoias. You can pass through Porterville going up to the Sequoias, which is how uh, most people know about Porterville. And, uh, growing up, it was probably about 30,000 population. Now it's probably double that. Okay.
0: And and what do you think attracted more of the population there? Or is it just people having kids there?
2: Well, uh, farming, uh, so agriculture was a big attraction, um, and, and still is. And it's what brought my, my father and his family, um, to the San Joaquin Valley. Um, and now, you know, now it's, it has some struggles, um, There's some poverty issues. There are, you know, our lack of jobs. Uh, But farming is still a big part of what happens there and part of the culture.
0: Did you do any farming yourself?
2: Uh, Kind of. So Mm. my dad was very entrepreneurial. Okay. uh, And he owned um, citrus Mm. uh, at uh, at one point in his career. And so there were nights where I would go out. That's how I learned to drive in a Ford F one fifty on a ranch, uh, midnight. I could shine the headlights on him, and he could turn the water on on oh, each wow. row. Mm, so I cool. would follow along with the car, shining the headlights where they needed to be. So uh, that's a little bit of farming in my history—not a lot, but uh, but it's how I learned to drive. I like it. I like. Eleven it. years old, twelve years old, behind an F one fifty. How that's fun awesome. is that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> first time I ever saw um, an underage driver. I guess I was probably about ten. And we were visiting family in Arkansas, okay. uh, my mom's side of the family, and uh, the kids like we're going to the store, and he couldn't be more than thirteen, right? <laughs> he taught me how to ride a horse. He taught me how to chew tobacco. I got real sick on that. He, <laughs> <laughs> but he was driving us around. This just like this. I mean, but you have all that space, you know, yeah, Arkansas. Yeah. You know?
2: that's the kind of stuff you see in Porterville. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might even see a tractor or some horses on the street too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, great place to grow up. Um, I uh, I enjoyed every second of it, and um, it's what I hoped for for my family. You know, when I was young, uh, that our kids would have space and have a community like that to grow up in. I love it.
0: Did you have uh, remember your aspirations, uh, what you wanted to be when you grew up?
2: Well, uh, early on, I was probably like most kids. Um, uh, I either wanted to be in the NFL or the NBA. Okay. Uh, then, when you know, I realized that wasn't going to happen. Uh, I, I think I was probably a weird kid. Um, I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist mm. uh, when I was a teenager, a young teenager. Hmm. Uh, and I liked human behavior, liked the idea of, of helping families. Uh, and so that's, in my early years, what I thought I would end up doing.
0: Do you ever, hmm. like, <laughs> ever pursue any of that? Did you, so, did you sit the dolls around the room and, and talk to them individually? So or?
2: kind of. So my, my first nonprofit job, Uh, was in the Inland Empire in Riverside, and I ended up working for a foster care agency, Mm -hmm. but they had counseling centers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's when I was still thinking about, I was trying to make a decision about graduate school, still thinking about that route, and I got to see firsthand what that looked like. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there were some times I thought about it. Um, Getting real-world experience was really helpful in making that determination and deciding what I thought was, you know, um, best for me and my family, and where I thought my strengths were. So yeah, it's something I thought about. I, I, I looked a little bit into it. I got to see it in action, and then decided my talents were, were elsewhere.
1: Yeah. So with an aspiration like that, did you yearn to break out of the small town, or did you think you'd stay there and develop you know, a presence in, where you felt like you, know, you were home?
2: Well, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> my, I love my parents, um, and uh, they uh, education was very important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the first one in my family to go to college. Oh. Uh, and uh, I think my parents, especially my dad, felt like staying in a small town was just going to be trouble for me. Mm-hmm. So I knew from an early age, and my parents didn't give me a choice, you were living at 18, you were going to college. Mm-hmm. And so I just always knew that that's what it was going to be like. Uh, And so um, my future in that respect was pretty clear. Was the high school experience
0: tough or or, or were you pushing right through? You knew you were headed to college, obviously, but...
2: I loved high school. I went to a large high school and I played a lot of sports, sport every season. Mm -hmm. And so my attention was typically on sports. I love competition. And that's what really got me through high school. Great friends. uh, And um, yeah, I mean, I was excited about what college was going to mean for me, but I lived in the the now and yeah. enjoyed all parts of, of high school.
0: You know, we're talking like behavior studies, right? Or like um, sociology, study of human behavior and all. And I, one of the things that intrigues me is something that you just said, and we hear it a lot on the show, right? Where you were the first one to go to college mm-hmm. and your family. Yeah, I wonder what that pressure is like? I wonder how relieving that is, to, you know, uh, so the, to the families like we finally got one kind of thing. I mean, and I'm, I'm not too far removed from that, but I just wonder from it, wonder from a, a first hand standpoint.
2: Uh, there, there was pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so my dad's, uh, Mexican, my mom's white. Uh, my dad was born in a, um, small town in Southern Texas, uh, and, uh, was raised by grandparents. Grandparents moved him at a young age to California because they're farm workers. And so they traveled up and down California Mm -hmm. uh, based on crops. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather had a friend or compadre that said, Porterville's a good spot, you should take a look at it. And that's how they ended up in Porterville. Um, So both my mom and dad came from families that uh, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, My parents were amazing, very driven, credible work ethic and have been uh, hugely successful Um, but it was very important to them and i knew from an early age that education was going to be my route Uh, and part of that pressure was the responsibility i felt that grandparents and mom and dad uh sacrificed Mm -hmm. you know went through tougher Mm -hmm. times so that i would have more Mm -hmm. opportunities and i didn't want to be a dope and let anybody down so that 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 was the pressure that i felt
0: I appreciate you answering that because it, it really is intriguing to me. It's like um and and part of your answer is very important too, which is that we're not talking about families that aren't necessarily successful. We're not talking about families that aren't necessarily hardworking. We're just talking about families that don't have the higher education. Yeah. Right? You know, and so some of the I mean, those folks are working to get their kids to get to college.
2: You know, exactly. I mean, I think what they see are the um, it's what my grandparents saw, you know, coming to the United States and specifically coming to California. Their vision was there were more opportunities Mm -hmm. uh, and they were willing to do whatever it took. So their family had those opportunities. Yeah. And that's me, ultimately, that I would have more opportunities. Mm -hmm. Again, not that they weren't successful because they worked hard, Mm -hmm. um, but they did see that education was a path that offered more opportunities. I Mm -hmm. love it. I love it. How about early jobs? Uh, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of things. Um, we had a family that owned a grocery store, close family friend, uh, and so did some bagging of groceries. Okay. Okay. I learned very quickly not to put the bread at the bottom. Some <laughs> nice older lady uh, helped me with oh, that. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I did some of that. Um, I um, was a lifeguard mm-hmm. uh, early on, and uh, in college I uh, worked graveyard shift in our uh, college library, which also was an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Worked till 4 a.m. And that was, you know, over a summer, tough getting on schedule. Yeah, Yeah. I bet.
0: Well, I guess you're learning um, about how to manage your sleep and you know get back into class and all of that as well though
2: so the trick was i would usually take a break around one in the morning and i would be so tired you mm-hmm. know i just ready to you know i would try to eat maybe read you know some books or magazines exhausted though get back to working for the next couple hours drive home get get to uh, the house at four thirty, ready to go to bed and i was wide awake mm-hmm. um, and i would yeah. lay down for an hour or so and say you know what this I give up i'm gonna get up and make some breakfast or something so that's,
0: that's yeah your, your
2: body finally figures it out but uh those i remember those early months
0: it reminds me of uh radio
2: mm-hmm. at,
0: at that 10 p.m to 6 a.m shift yeah. man and <laughs> just right it's up just go get breakfast yeah <laughs> yeah just get just
2: get your day going <laughs> yeah, at that point the sun's yeah. coming
1: up yeah, yeah i find that too
2: uh and then that led ultimately in college uh my, maybe my first kind of grown up or a professional job was working for a financial institution. Okay. Uh, and so I worked for a bank and um, that was really, and I, I did that in college and also in graduate school. Um, and what was nice about that is I really was introduced to a lot of different people uh, and businesses. Mm. Uh, great examples of businesses that were very successful, but I also saw biz- businesses that were struggling. And I, I um, made a lot of and built a lot of relationships and uh, one of those relationships is what ultimately led to my first nonprofit job. I love it. Uh, that's where I got my start in the nonprofit world. Hello,
0: friends. I'm Joe Samo. I'm an attorney in San Diego, and I'm the host of Run It By My Lawyer. It's a great podcast where you will learn a lot about the law, and it is very entertaining, if I say so myself. And uh, you can get it for free anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Instagram at Run It By My Lawyer. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff.
1: And I'm your host, Jeff.
0: We're friends who love good beer and telling stories, so we turned it into a podcast. Teachers by day, beer yeah. drinkers by night. Lucky enough to live in North County, San Diego, California, beer mecca within a beer mecca. Please pour yourself a beer, pull up a bar stool, and join us. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Go to the website, ilikebeerthepodcast.com. We'd love to
2: keep drinking, but right now, we got to run.
0: I'm I'm interested. I want to go back just a little bit. First of all, where was the college? Where did you go to undergrad?
2: Uh, Undergrad was in Provo, Utah, uh, Brigham Young University, BYU. Okay. Awesome. And what were you studying? So, uh, studied a few things, but psychology was one of them because um, Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist. Sure. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you, now this job that you had um, working with the bank, did you pursue it? I mean, there were obviously on campus jobs uh, that you could have done, yeah. right? But were you just looking for a financial institution to work for? Uh,
2: I like the idea. I enjoy finance. It's one of the things I looked at in graduate school. I like finance. Uh, and it was also a job um, that uh, offered a lot of flexibility. And at that point, I was going back to graduate school. Uh, and um, needed some flexibility. So mm-hmm. they were great with my schedule, something I can continue to do while I was back in school. Uh, and again, I like being around, I work primarily with business customers uh, and I like that relationship and I like learning about that. Same. You
0: know, the, um, the insurance brokerage that my dad and I have, you know, we, we talk about the differences between working with the personal clients and the business clients. Mm-hmm. The business clients, they have things to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not <laughs> calling you every day, like what if, you know, you know, I got in a little fender bender in the parking lot kind of thing. What if my aunt drives the car, is it okay? You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But as a business owner, it's like, I need to make sure I'm covered so I can go back to business, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I really like that. You, you got to deal with business owners early
2: on I did. Uh, and many of them were great examples. Uh, and the, you know, I found early on too, that you could be a good example um, or even a bad example, but it's still something to learn from, right? What right. not to do or what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, uh, the world's about making or building relationships. Sure. And it was, again, I was very young and it was an opportunity to uh, figure that out uh, and start to understand what that's about. Where was grad school? Grad school was in um, in the Inland Empire. Uh, my wife actually got into grad school first, which is why we moved to Riverside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was going to UCR. And then uh, I ended up going to Cal State San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. Um, UC Riverside didn't have a day program, an MBA program. And, so, and I was working full time. And so I chose Cal State for the night program. Mm-hmm. So some of those days were long. Yeah. working full time and then oh, sure. two or three nights a week from four to 10 o'clock in yeah. classes. Um, but, you know, I was young and and eager. You know kids at that time? Well, I uh, had our first child during about partway through. Okay. Um, so yes, so I had a young child at home through about half of that.
0: Okay, I think it is time for the reveal because I really want to hear that. A lot of what you have been talking about in, in your upbringing and, and your Your focus um, seems intentional and it kind of leads us down the direction to where you are now. And where you are now is so uh, special, you know, and uh, anybody who's really paying attention uh, will understand uh, what I mean when I reveal for you. Uh, Today we're honored to have a truly inspiring guest, reintroducing Casey Castillo. Now the CEO of the Jacobs & Cushman San Diego Food Bank, the fourth largest independent food bank in the country. For over a decade, Casey has dedicated his life to the noble cause of combating hunger and poverty within the San Diego community. Guiding the food bank since 2008, Casey and his team have tirelessly served an astounding 400,000 individuals each month. Through their unwavering commitment and compassion, they have touched the lives of seniors on fixed incomes, struggling lower income families, and poverty-stricken children. Not limited to just providing meals, the San Diego Food Bank also operates as a full-fledged diaper bank, recognizing the essential needs of families and well-being of their little ones. Moreover, they ensure access to vital period supplies, shedding light on the often overlooked challenges faced by individuals in need. Through their remarkable efforts, they provide not only nourishment, but also restore dignity to those facing adversity. As we approach September, designated as San Diego Hunger Awareness Month, our conversation with Mr. Castillo couldn't be more timely. So welcome. Thanks We really appreciate it. you again,
2: appreciate that. Again, wonderful introduction. Uh, we're always grateful to talk about the San Diego Food Bank and the work that's being done. And it's also an opportunity to thank the community um, because that's how we're able to do that and meet those needs. And we are grateful for that support.
0: Yeah. Give us a, a little statistics uh, for us, because I know you're a numbers guy. So, <laughs> I mean, um, we're talking about 400,000 families or 400,000 people per month that uh, you're feeding. What, what can you give us in terms of the numbers of those that are really
2: out there affected? Pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and it, that is a big number. Um, right now, at least the, le- the most recent study uh, is that there are about 750,000 uh, food and nutrition insecure people in San Diego County. So that's a very big number as well. Right. As you point out, we're serving about 400,000 each month. That changes on a monthly basis. Sure. Um, the other um, kind of mind-blowing figure is that about 250,000 of those are children. Um, I gave a tour this morning to a family and uh, they had a grandchild that she was 11 with them. Uh, and she was asking great questions, but I had an opportunity. She asked about how many kids were hungry in San Diego County. So I gave her that figure. And one of the things I pointed out was that these are kids then that you're going to school with. At 250,000 people, these are kids that she knows mm-hmm. maybe sitting next to in class. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was pretty eye-opening for her. I know it's eye-opening for me. Um, and it's why we, um, as a San Diego food banker out there, and as you mentioned... This is Hunger Awareness uh, Month, and it's an opportunity to um, to communicate to the the community ab- about the things that are going on in San Diego, and also ways that they can help if they desire to. Wow! So for Hunger Awareness Month, um, you know,
1: every month has certain things where it's it's spotlight, uh, but hunger is with us all the time. And if you were able to make Somebody aware of one thing that you think may either dispel a myth or, you know, what would be one thing that you think you'd want everybody to know during this month that might uh, kind of shift their perception?
2: Uh, that's a great question. One of the misconceptions about food banking is that we primarily serve the unhoused or the mm-hmm. homeless. Yeah. Um you mentioned the 400,000 figure number uh, monthly that we're serving. Um, Most of those are considered the working poor. Um, In a recent study that uh, we had SDSU conduct, um, 73% of our respondents had either full-time or part-time jobs. Three quarters of those 400,000 people that we're serving are working, Um, but they're still struggling, still struggling to put uh, food on the table. So that's a misconception I would like um, to counter. I want people to know that, that we're serving individuals and families that are working, uh, they're doing everything they can to get by and they still need a little extra help. hmm yeah. For me, it, it really kind of goes back to the kids and the
0: conversation that you were having this morning with the grandmother. I, I really, I mean, just imagine how those kids are affected in school, right? Uh, concentration. Mm -hmm. you know you're you're in there hungry you're just trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from we had a um vanessa ruiz in here amazing uh conversation with her on the velocity podcast uh last year and um she was talking about the kids that it's so hard for them to focus in class they're running to the uh lunch counter to beat the other kids so they can be first in line yeah
2: Yep. Uh, It's one of the reasons uh, that we created our Food for Kids Backpack Program in 2006. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a hidden problem and that was that there were children that were not eating over the weekend. Now these are kids that are receiving free school meals during the week Mm -hmm. um, but we're going home without anything at home to eat. And so we created the Backpack Program. We started with 50 students. Today we're at 3,000 students that we're feeding and serving every Friday Uh, during the school year. So we're providing a bag or bags of food into the backpack every Friday. These are elementary age uh, kids that a teacher or maybe a school nurse identified as a child not eating over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, the number is big in terms of kids that uh, throughout the county that are food insecure. So we have a ways to go, but it is a program that we grow every year.
0: How do you deal with um, the embarrassment the bullying the the you know what shame. talking about kids yeah the shame
2: yeah you mentioned Vanessa we were in a meeting yesterday and somebody asked a, a wonderful question and you know whether it's about access um, or people are not aware of services um, and what really was is the number one reason people do not utilize your services that need them you know one of the things Vanessa pointed out um, and I think this is true is stigma is still a big problem mm-hmm. people are embarrassed um there's pride involved. And so that's part of our messaging. Uh, we we try to do our best to to make sure uh, that people know there's nothing wrong with needing help. In fact, I point out often that our mo- most loyal donors and volunteers are people that have experienced food insecurity mm-hmm. in their life. Sure. They're now on the other side of it. And because they understand it, because they can give, they're willing to give uh, at this moment. And so um, we are, we understand, we're a food safety net and we provide emergency food services. Please use those services and what we want to do is get you back on your feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we understand that you may just need us for a short period of time, mm-hmm. a couple months, but please use, use our services.
1: So do you put some of that early desire to deal with family dynamics to play with what you're doing now? Your, your early desire to, to get in there <laughs> psychologically and help, you know, make family units work smoothly.
2: Does that play well, into think, your current job? I think that is part of our responsibility as a food bank, right? To make sure we're providing access, yeah. but also making sure people, people feel comfortable utilizing our services. One thing that we do, and I think this is inherent in our model and our mission, is we partner with over 500 other nonprofit partners, yeah. They are, have feeding programs and they get their food. Some of them, most of their food or all their food from us. What's great about that model is these are nonprofits that are soup kitchens, are church pantries, are shelters, but they're in people's neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. That's another way for families and individuals to feel more comfortable. These might be churches down the street from them that they know or that their friends are utilizing, mm-hmm. and they're more comfortable accessing that because they go to that church, Mm -hmm. or again, their neighbor may go to that church and invited them to come and participate. Mm -hmm. I think that's another way that we're able to combat that. And again, part of our mission and our responsibility. That's perfect. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Now, um,
0: you say you love competition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You wanna know where this is going, (laughs) I see. Um, Fourth largest food bank in the nation. What are the others doing And how can you become number
2: one? Well, you know, it's interesting about that. And, you know, I'm a little torn because the fact that we're one of the biggest also, uh, I think, signifies that there's a big problem. There are issues. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it also means uh, hopefully we're doing a good job of meeting that need. Um, but you point out being the fourth. It's interesting because I looked at those other three. Okay. Um, they are not necessarily traditional food banks like we are. Okay. I would say we're probably the largest traditional food bank. The other three actually have um, global programs. Okay. So they're not serving a regional, an area. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, serving other countries, uh, including you know where they're headquartered. And uh, so I would say we're the, the largest um, traditional... Regional independent food bank. There you go. Uh, the others, yeah. So there's, that's there's the competitor and me, yeah. uh, and uh, and we did do some research. I, I'm sure you can back that up with research. <laughs> yeah, but a good competitor's going to say he won anyway. So.
0: Well, you, that was a great
1: answer though, because <laughs> then it does take away the competition. Um, important. Mm-hmm. You talked about um, data and this recent study, yeah. Mm-hmm. The San Diego State uh, University did. Um, what were some of the key findings that are kind of steering you right now? Is there anything that you learned that you, surprised you
2: or that is actionable? Um, it, it was a good study. We, were, we appreciated um, this was SDSU's um, hospitality and tourism uh, department and program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we brought them in to conduct this third, uh, study for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, uh, we wanted to gauge overall San Diego Food Bank economic impact. Um, and what was interesting about that is... Um, SCSU when they went out across the country to look at what others had done, they couldn't find another food bank that had ever done a study like that. Um, So it may have been first of its kind. Um, And then the more important uh, reason, the second reason, is we wanted to make sure we understood all the characteristics of of our recipients, those receiving uh, food from us. Mm -hmm. Things like why they need to utilize our services, um, uh, for how long, how often they're utilizing our services, how far are they traveling, um, and, uh, so we wanted to look at, uh, we looked at household size, household income, uh, we wanted to make sure we completely understood that. Um, so back to the economic impact, um, we, we know that we have an $83 million direct impact in the community because that's the value, retail value of the food that we distribute. Wow. Um, but as we start looking at things like, okay, so if somebody now can, um, reallocate some of those dollars to pay for utilities, or rent, or health care, what does that mean for the economy? Sure. Well, that multiplier uh, went as high as $134 million, uh, uh, in San Diego County. So we, wow. we thought that was pretty uh, interesting uh, to look at an overall economic impact that we had yeah, with yeah. our services. Now, what did we learn in terms of our recipients? Well, we all, we've always said that we've, most of who we serve is the working poor. So now we have a number that that's about 73%, so almost three, uh, three quarters. Uh, the other thing we learned, about um, 60% of um, our recipients uh, travel uh, three miles or less. Uh, we would like that percentage to be um, higher and the distance to be lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so strategically, we're going to look at um, working with other nonprofit partners to fill some of those gaps maybe create some of our own direct distributions, and also maybe utilize our mobile pantry, our vehicles that we can fill up and directly target yeah. neighborhoods or areas that, uh, um, that are, are maybe a food desert or have um, some uh, deficiencies in terms of food um, availability. Um, the other thing we learned, uh, 76% of recipients are using our services because of inflation, of, of rising costs specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, 45% say they don't make enough, um, so their salaries aren't keeping up with inflation. Mm -hmm. And 25% are seniors living on a fixed income. So um, those are things that we really received confirmation, but now we have a a more definitive um, uh, idea and picture of what that looks like for us. Um, So we're going to take that information, uh, and this is why we did it. We wanted to take that information and then strategically look at ways to fill those gaps and better serve the community. And so that's what we're doing, and that's what we're working on now. And this was done through direct surveys of the community, though, right? This wasn't just uh, picking
0: pockets and creating information and. In um, first-
2: 16 of our distribution sites um, placed throughout San Diego County. So we wanted to be equitable in where we were surveying, and over a thousand respondents and recipients. Uh, and, you know, I think it's probably unfair to call it a survey, it was more of an interview because okay. we had. Um, students uh, with SDSU that were actually one-on-one interviewing Mm -hmm. the respondents um, so that they would feel more comfortable. And I think it also ensures the accuracy of the survey. Uh, And so it's a rigorous process and SDSU did a great job. And now we have really good information and data to help us make decisions. I hate to ask a a cliché-ish question.
0: Um, Well, then don't. (laughs) No, I'm well, I'm hoping you don't is. call it a please say a question, because I think that um, the pandemic had to affect mm-hmm. the food bank in, sure. you know, whether it's positive or negative way. Yeah. I, I did read some numbers about how it was affected. But can you tell us about that time period yeah. in particular?
2: That was a good um, question. It was. You. Yeah, it was a great question. Uh, it was a tough period, I think, for everybody. Yeah, um, but certainly for the food bank. Um, but it was also really inspirational, too. Um, Tough because um, we went from serving about 300,000 people to within weeks of the lockdown serving almost 600,000. So nearly doubling. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had to respond very quickly. Um, That also meant that our employees didn't go home. Uh, We stayed Mm -hmm. uh, working and um, did the best that we could to meet the demand. It was inspirational because one, I thought our team, the food bank, and team members are really, um, amazing in their response. Um, but probably even more than that, it was pretty amazing to see the the community rally, Mm uh, and to see individuals and families and corporations and civic groups, uh, and government entities and electeds all really come together, um, to help and to support San Diego County and the region. Um, and so, you know, the, that was nice to be a part of everybody working really in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I, again, the response was difficult and it, it went on for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So the organization came out of it and we were tired. And so we had to do things to re-energize. Uh, and I think we have. Um, and we, again, we learned a lot of lessons, good lessons, bad lessons, and I think we came out of it a better organization, awesome. and then we we're actually we able to better feed people and meet their demands. love
1: it. One of the things uh, I was curious to ask you is about you know the whole uh, kind of like the lifespan of food. you know there's uh, on the on the sustainability side, I believe the food bank is helping to provide some of the um, raw materials for a local distillery for bread that can't be sold anymore or given anymore. Yeah. And that distillery then makes use of that bread and turns it into a wonderful vodka. Yeah. Um, what other types of things are you doing from a sustainability standpoint? Maybe it's food recovery programs. Are you are you working with either the resorts or the school system to try to... You know how kids, they'll get their tray, they'll eat the burger, they'll throw the rest away, and there's a perfect package of carrots there.
2: Um, are you working with other we, folks to help we close do, the circle there? Yeah, absolutely. We do all of that. Um, right now, we do food recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a little under $5 million last year, and we're going to do more uh, than that this year. Uh, we're primarily working on the food recovery side with grocery store partners. Okay. However, with AB 1383, uh, Tier 2 kicks in in January, which will mean restaurants and other uh, similar great. type of companies. That's good. Um, and so then we'll be working more with restaurants and hotels and and um, other companies like that. Uh, and we're prepared for that, and it's something we've been working on years to prepare. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the numbers are gonna go up, mm-hmm. because we're gonna have more sources. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do do that. Uh, the other thing that we do is, um, you know, unfortunately, from time to time, stuff does come to us that we can't use mm-hmm. uh, because it's well beyond expiration, or it's been damaged, or uh or whatever uh, we we did create a composting recycling uh, program many years ago mm-hmm. uh, we were able to divert um, almost 1.5 million pounds away from the landfill last year almost everything and so we recycle what we can uh, and we will compost what we can as well and then That's we right. donate that compost to farms and uh, local community gardens and uh, other uh, types of entities yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. excellent wonderful Hi, I'm Rachel Beld, host of Velocity, the Vista Chamber podcast. Join me as I sit down with Vista's movers, shakers, and changemakers. Let's move Vista forward with Velocity.
0: This podcast is brought to you by yourinsuranceplace.com. Owning a business is hard work. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into it every single day. You need a partner who understands the ins and outs of insuring small to medium-sized businesses. For over 40 years... Our California Property and Casualty Insurance Agency has insured businesses just like yours. We've seen it all, and we've learned a thing or two about what it takes to keep your business protected. That's why we offer free policy assessments. We'll take a look at your policy and let you know if there are any gaps in your coverage. Let us help you to protect what you've worked so hard to build. Yourinsuranceplace.com So piggybacking on on the sustainability question, uh, how about, um, for those who are less informed, uh, speaking to the health of the food, quality of the food, right? There there might be some folks out there who who think that it's all junk food or it's all uh, low quality,
2: uh, you know, goods. Um, What can you tell us about, uh, you know, the health? conversation so nutrition is very important to us uh, we do um, have a nutrition policy something we developed over a decade ago have a nutritionist on staff um, and um, our goal is to make sure we're distributing healthy and nutritious food um, about half of our products are shelf-stable uh, non-perishable food items uh, and uh, this year we're going to increase the percentage of fresh produce fr- fruits and vegetables that we're distributing last year it was approaching 20 million pounds. Uh, this year, it's gonna be over 20 million. Mm. Uh, and um, th- it is one of our priorities this year to continue to put more fresh fruits and vegetables out into the community. Um, so that's our plan, we're gonna do it this year and uh, and it'll remain part of our mission is yes, we're not feeding um, the community empty calories, we're feeding them. Right. Nutritious food yeah. um, that uh, and energy that they can burn and and uh, and thrive mm-hmm. in whatever it is they're trying to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I love it. I think he's on point. I think I, I think I totally he, agree. Yeah, yeah.
1: So for somebody watching or listening to this that agrees and says, God, I I want to help. Yeah, I don't know how because uh you know just here in my bubble here in my world. So it, what is the best way for an individual to help? Is it money? Is it
2: food donations uh, what what do you recommend for somebody that wants to get involved uh we are happy to accept either one um Mm -hmm. and i would add volunteerism to that yep um but when it goes back to the money um we because of our efficiencies and the network that we use and the ability to utilize wholesalers and also uh, receive donations large donations from grocery stores we can really leverage our dollar Uh, So every dollar donated to us and that we spend, we can convert to two meals. Mm. Um, So know that if you're donating money to us, your donation is going to go a very, very long way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're always looking for food donations. We host food drives throughout the year. Um, We're just finishing a campaign um, with uh, Albertsons and Vons, uh, where you can buy non-perishable items inside the grocery store and place in our red barrels very large food drive. Mm. Um, So we're always happy to accept food donations. Um, And then the third thing that I mentioned is um, we try to make it easy to volunteer as well. Mm -hmm. We have two locations, a warehouse in Miramar, a warehouse in Vista. Mm -hmm. Um, We generally have three uh, volunteer shifts each day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Uh, And we have um, shifts on Saturday as well. Um, These shifts consist of um, sorting food, Uh, bagging produce, um, building senior boxes, building food for kids, backpack bags, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I I promise you, uh, you won't be sorry when you come away from one of our volunteer shifts. Yeah, and can someone
1: volunteer as little as a day a week or is there a minimum?
2: Yeah, you can come volunteer once. Uh, I see volunteers that are in our warehouse two or three times, maybe four times a week. Yep, you can choose uh, visit our website sandiofoodbank.org. Click on the volunteer tab, and a list uh, for the foreseeable future, the next couple months, all of the opportunities, um, and it usually includes the type of project. Excellent.
0: A lot of ways to help. That's amazing. I've been to the Vista location. Uh, you hosted, graciously hosted uh, an event that we had over there with the Chamber of Commerce. Four Chamber of Commerce is actually yeah. there and um a really successful event and so we appreciate you hosting that's where i first met you and and again you were gracious with your time and joining me today uh and spreading the word a little bit more so we really appreciate you and appreciate your
2: time i appreciate the opportunity thank you and uh and thank you for helping us get the word out yeah
1: thanks for all the work you're doing it's important yes sir how can uh how can we reach you me? Yes. Uh, Chrisryanvideo.com. Love it. Easy. Online. Easy to remember. And, uh, yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you for being with I wasn't with expecting me. you Good. to thank you turn to me. to me for that. I
0: knew you knew your website. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was hoping you'd repeat mine. <laughs> well, for somebody, I mean, on your website, I assume that all the different ways they can help are all easily found. Mm-hmm. Volunteering, yep. but also donating food, donating, donating cash.
2: It's all right there saniofoodbank.org and then yes to donate uh monetarily you can click on the donate now button and okay. uh that'll take you right to the land you page to donate yeah i love Good. it casey castillo ladies and gentlemen same business different
0: day podcast thank you guys so much for tuning in follow us at same biz pod s-a-m-e-b-i-z-p-o-d and at a different day radio we'll see you next time